Yo, is this thing on? Man, whatever. Walk with me. Welcome back to Walk with TFB. Tim Bryson here, and as y'all know, I'm a black millennial who is eager to have unfiltered conversation with authentic people centered on education, sport, and culture. Today, we are walking with a leadership facilitator, Zumba instructor, and millennial mother. A self-identified military brat, she's a three-time graduate of the University of Louisville. She holds experiences in student affairs, athletics, and human resources, but diversity, equity, and inclusion will always be core to who she is and how she conducts her practice. When she is not sharing worthy notes or discussing transparency, you can find her and her partner making TikTok videos, and I hope one of them goes viral by the end of this show. I shared a call for guests before I started this more than a millennial season, because I want this podcast to continue to reflect our community and the community in which we serve. Unanimously, this individual was nominated to be on the show, and I am so thankful to speak with her today. Worthy notes, worthy solutions. She continues to lift as she rises, but without further ado, y'all help me welcome Christia Worthy to the show. Christia, what's up, man? Talk to me. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. I'm doing good. So excited to be here to talk with you, to talk with people who are listening, but I'm just blessed. I'm blessed. Now we're blessed to have you here. And before we jump in, yo, how are you doing right now? You know, I'm doing all right. My my son is awake. You might hear him pop in. You know, we talk about parenting, but he's good. I'm good. You know, just just hanging in there, trying to, you know, find the positive in life. I know a lot of times people say, like, how are you doing? We're so quick to mask it with, oh, I'm great. I'm great. But I'm, you know, making an intentional effort to keep it real. So I'm doing all right. I appreciate it. How that. are you? We're doing well, yo. Like I told you before we started, 22 days until the end of semester one of PhD. I forgot what it's like to write a paper. <laughs> so after this, I'm going to write my paper. But um, like I said, super excited to have you on the show. And as I said, if the young king gets done eating lunch, wants to hop on the show, hop on the mic, he's more hey, than happy. He'll stuff. be happy to. He'll be happy to. <laughs> nah, but good stuff. So as you know, I mean, again, you're loyal, uh, not just listener, really supporter of the podcast in our community. So we appreciate you as well. Um, but we're going to jump straight into segment one, What is what is your story? I mean, so again, we know uh, I kind of gave a brief overview from your LinkedIn and even Twitter profile. But Christia, talk to us more about what is your story? Yeah, and I always find that question so interesting because you can connect with people through stories. You can learn about people through stories. And even now, I'm like, what is my story? And I feel like it's still growing. It's still developing. But just, you know, a little bit about who I am. Um, I always start with being raised in a military family. My dad was in the army. He joined when he was about 19 years old. So I, I do come from a family of young parents, right? My mom had my sister, my older sister when she was 17, then had me when she was 19. So I can't even imagine, you know, trying to figure out life and take care of kids at that young age. But luckily and thankfully my dad did, you know, join the military to provide, you know, better lifestyle for his family. And another thing that's kind of unique that a lot of people don't know is that I actually was raised by my father. A lot of times when you think of, you know, the black family and let's say the parents separate, the kids usually go with the mother, but I actually, my dad um, got custody of my older sister and I, so I've been rocking with him since I was a young one. He's one of my, you know, best friends to this day. Um, but just, you know, being in the military as a, you know, as a child, a lot of things you don't understand. Um, but it's a lot of moving around, a lot of adapting, a lot of adjusting. And that really helped me 
grow into the person I am today. So being exposed to different cultures, I lived in Germany for a couple of years, then, you know, another situation going to an inner city public school. So I went to school in Detroit for a couple of years. So I was able to see all these different layers of privilege and it really helped me to be thankful. It helped me to, to be a better advocate um, and also help shape my story. But fast forward to what I am today. Uh, I love that this segment is focusing, focusing on being a millennial. I am a proud millennial. I say it every time I get the chance to say it, I represent. Um, but, you know, just a young person trying to figure out life, trying to figure out, continue to figure out my purpose, you know, how I can better shape the future, the next generation, as well as trying to navigate, you know, parenting as a professional, right? So, so many different layers to who I am, but I'm still, still growing and still learning. No, I appreciate that. And I, I love how you said parenting as a professional. Um, I'm not there quite yet. When I get there, I'm sure I'll be hitting you up, or at least, you know, Ooh, searching worthy notes. Take your time. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to take my whole time. I got like four more years to finish this program. Uh, but one thing I'm always curious about, um, first of which, you know, you mentioned you, you did live in several different cities, really countries as a, as a excuse me, military brat. Mm -hmm. What was the favorite, most favorite city or country you lived in and why? Yeah, so, so funny that my most favorite place was the place that I hated when I was there. So I actually lived in Baumholder, Germany um, for about three years. And when I was there, I did not appreciate it. I was ready to go back to the States. You know, I was staying up late at night trying to hear like the latest music and listen to like they, at late at night, they'll show like music from the U.S. And, you know, while I was there, I really did not realize like the impact that it would have on my life. I made the best of friends. Um, all of us over there, you know, right when I was in Germany, that's when um, Operation Iraqi Freedom started. So all of our parents were being deployed, you know, overseas, going to Iraq. And that just made our bond as children, you know, a lot stronger. But just the culture, like new food, learning a new language. After I left, I was like, man, why did I not appreciate being there? Why did I not, you know, really, you know, embrace this new culture? Um, definitely as I got older, I realized the importance of learning about other cultures, but Germany by far was my favorite place to live. That's dope. And so you obviously lived in Germany, lived in Detroit, I'm sure lived in several other different cities, yet chose the University of Louisville. Shout out to Louisville. Yes. As your place to continue your education, why yeah. are you ill? So crazy. So first, I'm going to keep it all the way real, right? So I ended up in high school in Kentucky. Yeah. Um, the only place I ever stayed for four years straight. Like usually I was hopping to someplace else, but uh, we actually stayed in Kentucky for four years. And to be quite real, I was trying to go to school for free, right? <laughs> I was trying to go to school with the least amount of loans. And I was aware that in the state of Kentucky, especially as a minority individual, there were certain scholarships that you can get based upon your grades and, you know, tests that you would take. And I knew I'm like, look, all the time I hear about people having loans and student debt, I'm like, I don't want that as much as possible. Um, so that really narrowed my choices down to two schools, you know, <laughs> the, the school up the road and then the University of Louisville. But I chose Louisville because of the culture and the way how it is right in the middle of the city. I didn't want to leave my institution or be off campus and feel out of place. I wanted to find a place that felt like home. And when I went to visit U of L, I visited both schools, the two, um, two, two schools and Louisville just, it felt like home to me. And 
I, I did leave and I came back. And I think me coming back to the university speaks volumes of the great things that the school is doing and the athletic department is doing. No, that's dope. And I'm glad you keep saying the school up the street. I'm not gonna mention that school neither. No. But I was this close, Christina, from going to Bellarmine. This close. But Charles Coastland said, that's a story for another day. Like, yeah, you know, I would love to hear that story. <laughs> Um, Myrtle Beach or Louisville, Kentucky, like yeah. <laughs> Myrtle Beach. <laughs> I love, I, exactly. That's why that's why I made that decision. I love I love uh, Louisville. Great city. Great great breweries in that city as well. Great food, yes, and great food. Underrated. But one thing I'm curious, right? And so I went to, of course, went to your LinkedIn. You know, I know how to do some research, especially working in career development. I feel like I had to. <laughs> um, but what I, I was very surprised because again, a lot of people who may listen to this show know that you work in athletics, that you made the transition from academics, of course, student development to now talent development, HR. But your experience in higher ed, which we're going to definitely dissect, we're going to mention that in a Let's minute. Let's talk, yeah. But you started off in like this middle school education. Yeah. Like yeah. how and why? Why, wow, right? I still ask myself that. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> but, like, so really, right? So when you get to college, a lot of times you're trying to figure out, you know, what do you want to major in? And I knew I, I love math. I love numbers. Um, that always came easy to me, you know, growing up. And I actually started school as an accounting major. I wanted, I, wow. made, I was majoring in accounting. And I think it might've been my second or maybe my first semester of school, I was in this computer class and I hated it. Like to sit behind a computer and type stuff up and like, it just was not for me. And I dreaded that class. I hated going to it. I hated, you know, working with Excel and all this other stuff. I'm like, can, can I skip this class and get to the accounting classes? But through that process, I learned that as an accountant, you would be behind a computer. Like that's what you'll be doing. And I thought about it, I'm like, you know, that's not the life I want to live. I don't want to be, you know, behind the computer. I wanted to be, I wanted to interact with people. And I've always thought about teaching, but you know what they say about teachers, they're not paid enough. And I was just like, oh, I want to make some money. But then mm -hmm. I realized like you can have all the money in the world and not be happy in your job. And I, I knew that having an opportunity to educate others, like I would be happy, like I would be fulfilled. So I went on and did middle school math education. And then I realized that that wasn't for me either. <laughs> Just middle school is a rough year. Like, I don't know if you can remember, it's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of changes. And I was like, do I want to do this? Mm, no. <laughs> and luckily, um, I had one of my uh, sorority sisters, she was starting her master's program and she told me about college student personnel. And I was like, what, what is that? Um, I had another um, another mentor staff member at UofL, Dr. Michael Anthony. He actually paid for me to go to ACPA's next gen conference. And that's when I fell in love with the whole student affairs world. And it really, you know, is a field that a lot of people should know about. I'm trying to recruit more student athletes to go into student affairs, but um, that, could, that could be a podcast. Should might be a Tim Talks episode probably this season yeah. because I mean it is one I think when we think about athletics, especially again, your work that you've done in student athlete development and academics, like student development theory. Yes, you can critique it all day long. That is foundational to how we need to support students. Yes, I mean, yeah. Period. It's foundational, and I think again whether people were to look at your LinkedIn or even your resume, trying to connect the dots. So like you were accounting, then you wanted to be a middle school teacher somehow ended up in this college student personnel program, but you fell into uh, athletics. That's what I'm saying. You weren't a student athletes. Like how did you even get into sport? Yeah, it is. It's a very unique story and it goes back to the power of student affairs. And I, I literally got into athletics 
uh, there were two people. One was my NPHC advisor. So I am a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. And my NPHC advisor, Kellen Wilson, she's still in the field. She was crazy that she was doing both jobs. So she worked in athletics and academic services full time. But the university also had her employed as an NPHC advisor. So as I was, you know, they don't have that model anymore because they realized that <laughs> the Black Greek organization need a full-time advisor, not someone part-time. And I remember I was going into, uh, I was getting ready to graduate. And of course, I'm always trying to find ways to not pay for school if I don't have to. And, you know, I was looking for a graduate assistantship. And Kellen was like, you should apply to our, our you know, RGA. And I was like, I don't know anything about athletics. Like I played sports in high school, you know, I won a state championship, but that's another <laughs> story. But I was like, I was not really involved in athletics, you know, during my undergrad. And she just encouraged me to apply. Another young lady, uh, Lauren Hansen, who actually came back and works at Louisville now, she was another like mentor I had like your freshman year, all freshman students get like this mentor for their major. She was my mentor for my business major whenever I came in and she ended up working athletics. And once I reached out to her about, you know, me applying, she was like, Christia, you can do this. Like you have the educational background from working with, you know, middle school, high school, you know, you have all that knowledge to where you're able to trans translate that into work in athletics. So I applied and shout out to Marvin Mitchell, who didn't want to hire me, but he did. And that's, you know, a person I look up to, but he gave me, you know, my first, you know, position as a GA working in athletics. So that's, that's really how I fell into it. And I, I fell in love immediately. Um, haven't looked back at all, but just a very unique way to get into athletics. And I know a lot of people, you know, in our profession there, you know, former student athletes, or, you know, maybe they even like tutor, you know, served as, as a tutor, but I definitely squeezed my way into the field. No, you have. And I think that's something, again, as it relates to storytelling, us telling more of our story and helping students, student athletes realize, like, you don't have to necessarily come out and do sport management or go to X, Y, and Z program to still yeah. Honestly, just pursue your passion, which you know we talk about all the time. Um, and so you have stayed in athletics, which I think is dope, but it continue to evolve um, in your career, right? Um, through pursuing your passion and really walking in your purpose. Talk to us more about this director of talent development role. That's one that, at least from a naming piece, is mm -hmm. very specific. Uh, and I know the work that you've done, the work at least that I've seen on, uh, especially on social media. You know, you're working with full-time staff, you're working with graduate students, you're highlighting their stories, you know, their experiences, you know, through you know graphics. So. Talk to us more about this role and why you decided to pursue, um, uh, I guess, a career pivot in the HR. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I think it goes back to like the millennial in me, right? So I'm, you know, working in academic, student athlete development, you know, I was at Michigan State, got my first full-time job. I'm loving it. Um, I also served as a tutor coordinator too. That's one thing that, you know, kudos to all the tutor coordinators. I, I couldn't do it for a long time. But through that experience, what I did love the most was interviewing the tutors, training them, you know, evaluating them, giving them feedback, helping them be like the best tutor that they could be through other training and education. And I was like, okay, I like this. Like, I like that part. I don't want to do payroll, but I like that part. Um, and then I, I attended a workshop uh, hosted by the NCAA Leadership Development Office. It was the Effective Facilitation Workshop. Uh, I think I did that back in 2016 and I like through my teaching background, you know, public speaking, you know, I, I like to present at conferences, 
going through EFW really changed like my perception and how I facilitate. It expanded my network. It really unveiled like what my true passion is. And that is helping people grow through facilitating workshops or giving them resources and tools. So I knew back in like 2016, I was like, okay, I enjoy doing academics and student athlete development, but I think I might want to like dabble into something else. So how can I, while I'm still working my full-time job, still grow that skill set to where if I ever wanted to make that transition, it was a possibility. Um, so I got involved in a bunch of different things from the Student Athlete Leadership Forum, involved with Huddle Up, um, and just more opportunity for me to facilitate. Then I thought about it. I was like, you know what? I'm gaining this experience in learning and leadership development, but I, I want a little bit more, like I'm missing something. So I went back to school and did a second master's. Might've been one of the craziest things I've ever done working full time and going back to school. Um, but what really encouraged me is, was that people do this all the time. So although it was tough, it's hella hard. Um, mm -hmm. I went back because I knew that I still needed to get that foundational knowledge while I'm still getting like this part-time experience so that when I am ready to make that transition, I'm prepared. And I'm always like, you gotta have a plan A, B, and C. So I was making my plan A in academics, student athlete development, my plan B, if I wanted to, you know, transition into like this training development in athletics department to even a plan C if I ever wanna go corporate. So luckily I just happened to be at the right place at the right time. Louisville, we were redoing like our core beliefs of the athletic department and really trying to figure out what do people value and what do people want. Mm -hmm. From different assessments we did within our department, people wanted to grow and learn. They wanted more structure in their development. And I had already been doing stuff for our academics and student athlete development staff. I've done a few things for our athletic department. So when that transitional opportunity, you know, was being developed, they thought of me. And I think that goes back to you verbally claiming what you want to do. I was telling my supervisor, telling my mentors in the department, like, hey, you know, I, you know, I like academics and student athlete development, but I actually see myself doing, you know, training and development for staff. Like I see myself doing on a full-time basis, diversity, equity, and inclusion work. Like that's, that's really where I see myself down the road. And I spoke it, people saw me, they heard about it. So then I was able to make that transition and I truly love my work. Like I enjoy what I get to do. Um, and just being able to provide support to our, still to our student athletes, our full-time staff members and our coaches has really helped shape our culture um, and the way how people engage with one another within a department. So I love it. Leadership development, diversity work, you know, team building, all that fun stuff that I learned in student affairs too, that I've been able to apply it to my job. That's dope. That's a, that's dope. And I think it's a, a perfect transition into segment two, uh, training topics. Um, and you mentioned before, right, you're a proud millennial. And it's something that I really reclaimed, I guess, began to own this summer. Uh, so I first just want to start by asking you, yo, like, what does it mean to be more than a millennial? It means to be more than a millennial is you not allowing what people have to say about us to keep us in this box. So when we hear about millennial, people just always talk about the negative stuff. I'm like, okay. Yeah, we want instant gratification, but <laughs> here are some other skills that we bring to the table. And it's just really like embracing who you are to the core and not allowing others to bring you down. 
So although, you know, millennials tend to have this bad rap, we are change agents. We are up here tearing stuff up, making things happen. <laughs> and the amount of connections that we're able to make and the work that we're able to do and the knowledge that we're able to gain that's accessible at our fingertips, we are the, uh, like, I have another hashtag, like, I love hashtags. And one of mine I have is can't stop, won't stop. That is a millennial. Like, we can't stop, we won't be stopped we continue to grind hard and to get what we want. And we don't allow the societal norms to hold us back. What do you think that came from? Like, when did you know you were a millennial? Even you thinking back to your own mm. story and experience? Yeah, I remember I was like, I think the, <laughs> I think when it really like smacked me in the face, it's my first time, my first full-time job. I was the youngest full-time person on the staff and I could see the generational differences. Like it was day and night. And I'm like, what is going on here? Like, what, what is it? And I'm like, okay, I'm a millennial. And I remember one time during a staff meeting, we watched this very poor video about millennials and it was supposed to be a joke, but I was like, hold up, this isn't funny. Some like YouTube video with a millennial talking about their coffee and arriving late all the time. And I'm like, no, 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 no. So I made it a commitment to represent millennials that no, we're not, you know, the stereotypical running late, gotta have our latte, our avocado and toast, all that mm -hmm. stuff. Like we are out here showing up, we're speaking up, we're claiming, you know, our space at the table. And I was just like, man, like I need to make sure that people know millennials are out here killing it. And how can I do that? And that's just me being more vocal about, you know, how I identify to hopefully break the barriers and break, you know, the bad rap that, you know, millennials get from time to time. Well, Christina, I'm with you. I know all of our <laughs> guests and those who are listening, especially to this season are with you and with us um, because we are, we are the model, I think, personally speaking. Gen Z, I feel like I'm like leaning more towards Gen Z right now. Gen Z is very radical and I'm not, I'm not that radical yet, but I definitely have some tendencies of Gen Z, um, but I'm always a proud millennial as well. Uh, one thing you mentioned earlier was parenting as a professional mm -hmm. and really what it comes down you know to me which especially with, with what you just said was also parenting as a millennial right being a millennial parent um and the one hashtag and you do love hashtags and i appreciate that especially from a branding perspective um it's transparency yeah and not just from you know millennial parenting and a woman's health which i know we're, we're definitely going to talk about now, now mm -hmm. as well but talk to us more about like, where this transparency hashtag come from um how have you seen it evolve um you know over the last several years especially yeah. Yeah, so transparency evolved from when I had my son. I have a two-year-old son, and I remember first going through pregnancy and, like, learning about all this stuff that I never knew occurred in pregnancy, and I'm just like, why the hell, why don't I know this, or why didn't I know about this, or why don't people tell you about that, so... I really went through pregnancy, like learning about my body, learning about pregnancy and a journey and then work. <laughs> I was like, okay, as a person who, like I said, can't stop, won't stop. I'm always on the go. I'm always doing something. I'm always traveling. I'm always, you know, on the road. How in the world do people parent and still do all these things? But also transparency is just being completely authentic about your parenting journey. I know a lot of times people just talk about how beautiful parenting is and the joys, you know, of, you know, children. When I'm like, mm, 
sometimes my son gets on my nerves. I love him, right? But like, how do you still have these authentic and courageous conversations about parenting that people just sweep under the rug? So that's where transparency came from. It's just, you know, open, honest dialogue about your parenting journey, the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? There's some ugly parts of parenting, even though it's a beautiful thing, but there's some ugly parts. And even more recently, uh, I had a another health situation where I had to like really advocate for my health as, you know, a parent, right? And what I discovered was the situation that I, I was experiencing, people didn't talk about it. But when you think about your parenting journey, a lot there are a lot of lows to parenting or trying to become parents. And I really want to empower women to share their story. I want to empower parents of all you know walks of life to share their story. And I think the more that we start talking about it, the more that we can normalize you know what it means to be a parent. But as a millennial parent, the funny thing is, my dad, he's a he's a young parent still. My dad just turned 50 last year. So he's a, a youngish parent, youngish grandparent. And I remember one day my son was like wild now, like he was acting so crazy, like just loud. And I was video chatting my dad, thanks to Tarona. So we're video chatting. And then Kyrie is like, he's doing something crazy. And I just bent down, I rubbed him on his back. I said, Kyrie, you gotta calm down. And then my dad started buzzing out laughing. I was like, what's funny he was like what the heck was that I was like daddy like I'm not trying to pass on this toxic you know parenting that's been you know passed on from generation to generation to where you know you your kids say something crazy you pop them in the mouth or they you know do something wrong you send them to their room like I'm really trying to help my son navigate his feelings to parent him in a way that might be different than what you did right and I think that goes back to millennials being you know more aware and more in tune to you know all the toxic stuff that goes on with parenting and generational curses so it's just a lot it's a lot as a millennial trying to you know navigate parenting and, and work too because those are two different things like especially as a woman who so many expectations on you but you just got to keep pushing. So talk more about that. Uh, I think you, you you didn't sell it short, but I think there's much more to unpack there. I think it's going to help all of us learn, not just from you, but also with you as well. Yeah. So what part you want me to talk more about? Millennial parenting as a woman. Yeah. Millennial uh, okay. woman's okay. health, Black yeah. woman's health. I mean, it's a, we can talk about Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Ooh, it's about to get real deep. So first, I will start with being a woman in a predominantly male profession, right? A lot of men who, let's say senior level men, right? Like let's say someone who might be an athletic director, deputy AD, right? If they have children, who's taking care of their kids? Their partner probably is taking care of their kids, right? But then if you look at the women who are in the department who are at the senior level, guess who's taking care of their kids? They are. <laughs> they are going home, cooking dinner, taking care, cleaning up, doing a bunch of things. Although I do feel like I'm not going to knock my partner. Chris is awesome. He helps, you know, 100%. He's in there. But I think what happens is that there's so many, as a woman and as a parent, a working professional, so much pressure of things that you have to do. Like my mind moves like 
I'm thinking about laundry. I'm thinking about grocery lists. I'm thinking about the assignment for work. Like I'm, my mind is covering all these different bases, um, which it, it can be overwhelming, right? But then let's talk about being, you know, the professional piece that's tough, right? Because you want to perform to your best level. You don't want to be seen as being weak because you are a woman with kids. So now it's all these standards that you're trying to navigate in your mind, all these expectations you're trying to navigate. And then let's talk about being a black woman, period, like in general. The death rate of pregnant black women is at it's a higher level than other races. So when you become pregnant or you're with child, for me personally, I'm not gonna speak for everyone, my anxiety rises. I'm like, I need to know what's going on. I need to make sure that I'm asking the right questions. I need to make sure that I'm pushing for care because what studies have shown is that doctors tend to be biased towards black women to where they don't take their pain. You know, when they say they're in pain, they don't treat them as, you know, severely as someone else. Or if they're ex expressing a symptom, they're saying, oh, well, you know, just take some, you know, Tylenol, it's going to be okay. And for me, my, my most recent experience, and I'm going to get right into it, is I experienced something called an ectopic pregnancy, right? And a lot of people don't talk about that. So basically, long story short, it's where the embryo is placed, it's not in the right location for it to grow. So I immediately, like when I found out that something was going on with my body, I'm like, oh, some look, y'all, I need to go to the doctor. Like this ain't right. I called a doctor and they told me, I explained the whole situation. Oh, well, doctors don't see women until they're about like eight to 10 weeks. I said, excuse me. Like, I don't think you understand what I'm saying. Like, I don't think this is a normal pregnancy. I don't think that it is viable. Like I need to be seen by a doctor. I need to get blood work done come on. So she put me on hold, came back. Well, we can't get you to see a doctor, but we can do blood work. So I said, whatever. But then I thought about it that day. And I'm like, look, nobody is not going to care about my life more than what I am. I need to call them back and demand to see a doctor. So I called back, different person on the phone, told her my situation. She immediately put me through a nurse. So I'm very thankful for that woman. And that the nurse told me, right, as soon as she got on the phone, she was like, you need to go to the ER. And I was like, what? She was like, you need to go to the ER. And that just unraveled everything. And ultimately the pregnancy did end up being ectopic. You can die from that. Like if you don't get treated in a timely manner, like you can die. So I'm just, I was just so frustrated, but also proud of myself for being an advocate because women, like you have to, you really need to get comfortable with, you know, pushing for care and, you know, talking more about what's going on with your body and not being ashamed of it. And one thing that I recently, you know, am pushing is that a lot of time we want to empower and uplift women. But if you're not discussing women's health during these leadership workshops and how to be an advocate, then we're doing that whole population a disservice. So if you're out there doing like a leadership workshop, please make sure that there's some type of component on there about women's health. And so well, first and foremost, I want to thank you for sharing that experience, at least part of your experience uh, with us on not just the show today, but with everyone who's listening uh, to the show. Um, I know you posted about it on Twitter, I think last week, uh, and received a lot of support, at least, you know, op optically. Um, so I hope you still feel that support and love yeah, yeah. Uh, coming to you even today. 
Um, but when you said that, particularly talking about uh, not just programming, but also initiatives and how we support people. Uh, and we've seen that um, heightened, especially through the summer, supporting Black people, yeah. whether people want to call it optical or not. Um, but particularly talking about women's health and women in the workplace. Um, can you talk to us more about like what are some things that you've seen been successful in regards to supporting women, as whether that's women who are parents or just women um, in general? Yeah, just a few things um, that I've seen that's been really successful is flexible schedules. Like I think with us even think, well, one beautiful thing about, you know, COVID is that it has shown in that flag department that you can work from home and still get things done. But even before COVID, having like flexible work schedules, like let's say if, you know, the regular hours are nine to five, if someone, you know, have, you know, they have children and they need to work from like eight to four because they have to pick up their child, you know, afterwards from daycare or from school, um, just providing, you know, a flex flexible schedule. I'll also recommend if there's a way to create a group for women so that they have each other to lean on. Um, a lot of organizations, uh, some athletic departments, they do establish like their own employee resource groups, but having like an ERG for women in a department or your organization is extremely beneficial because not only does it provide like a network, but it also builds community for people to be able to lean on one another as well. But I'll also say it's just be understanding and recognize that not even just parents, we all have lives outside of work. We are all, you know, have so many other pieces of our identity that makes us who we are. So if you just be, if you're just, you're open to, to hearing from people and learning more about them, just embrace every part of who they are. And that could really make them feel more appreciated and feel more connected to you or to whatever organization that they work for. That's free game. Worthy salute. Hashtag Dang worthy it. solutions, if you will. Uh, we're going <laughs> to talk about that in just a second. Um, but you mentioned, right, you're the director of talent development at, at UofL Athletics. Um, and as a millennial, millennial, you obviously supporting millennials in your work, um, as well as this Gen Z um, population that's coming in now. What are some of the things, observations that you're noticing of millennials that are currently working either at UofL, but also other places where you support it? Yeah, they just want a chance, right? They want a chance to learn and a chance to grow. And one thing that I've noticed is that a lot of older professionals want us to wait our turn, right? They want us to, to wait in line, to give our 15 to 20 years, you know, in a profession before we can get this promotion. But we can do the work if we just have the opportunity. And it's just, I've seen just so many eager people to where they want to contribute to the department. They want to grow, they want to learn. Um, and that's something that I hope that people are taking notice of. Like you can give people the chance and still take them under your wing and still mentor them and actually allow them to grow before discrediting them because they're too young to take on whatever leadership role. But I've just seen so many people just doing amazing things, whether they're creating their own lane, creating their own, you know, opportunity. But I just see a lot of innovation, a lot of creativity, and a lot of resiliency within the millennial population. I love it. Innovation, creativity, and resilience. How have you seen, how have you used millennial culture, at least whether your own experience or things you're noticing, obviously in social or, you know, other um, industries, influence how you work with people? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So, <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. So it reminds me of, so I, I do like a lot of different workshops or whatever for, you know, presentations. And I love to pull from like current culture 
to connect with them. So like from a simple as like a title of a pre- presentation, like I'll pull from Sweetie and, you know, you know, say that's my type, but talking about Myers Briggs, you know, personality types or, you know, asking people to tap in. We're talking about leadership, diversity and inclusion. So I really try, like even with, and I know people think, you know, if whoever's on TikTok, like I think those dances are cool. Like I love doing it. I feel like it just allows you to connect. Like I really wish we were in person more because I see some of the student athletes making videos and I'm like, I want to be in it with you. <laughs> like, but just, you know, from technology, uh, from, you know, different skill sets that millennials are bringing, it's, 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 we're game changers. So I like to tell the, the generation before us to watch out because we're coming after all y'all. <laughs> we really are. We really are. And it's, it's only a matter of time. Yeah. Um, and so I want to move us to our last segment, which is how can we best support you, right? Um, so today we talked a lot about uh, not just women's health, um, but not, not also, not only, uh, excuse me, millennial parenting, um, as well as millennials in the workforce. What can we do to best support Christia Worthy moving forward? Yeah, that is, yeah, so much, so much that people can do. <laughs> yeah. I would say one is to just, you know, if there's anything that I share, like I, I'm really big on social media and I just wish more people could realize the power of social media and the amount of people that you're able to connect with. Um, But like, I'm constantly, you know, sharing different things, whether it's like a holiday, like, hey, you know, today is this day. If you see things that you feel like your circle is not aware of, you know, just share it. Or if you see that I share a story, a personal story on like parenting, one day when I get my life together, I will, you know, have my podcast talking about parenting and I want people to share their stories, whether you're a single parent, you come from a parent, you know, with same sex, you know, marriages and parenting, like I really want to amplify all those stories of parenting. Um, But again, once I really, really get myself together, I truly hope to establish my consulting business and have it up and running. Um, So if you're ever looking for anyone, I don't even need to have it official yet, but leadership development, um, manager training, team building, diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'm your girl. I love doing that work. I love connecting with people and making it applicable. Uh, But just, you know, if you see me, whether we're in person at a conference, just say hi. Like, I love engaging, interacting with people. But there's definitely more to come Uh, once I, you know, establish my priorities, you know. you'll see some great things and see more things coming from, from me. We appreciate that. I can't wait for that podcast, especially to drop. If you need anything, let, let me, Dr. Uh, future Dr. Taylor Onion down at uh, South yes. Florida, let us know, man. We got you for sure. Thank you. I appreciate that. But I want to make sure that I uh, intentionally and really explicitly asked this question, because you talked about, you know, male colleagues, especially in senior level roles. But I think it's just also just, you know, males who are peers, even on the same, you know, level of the org chart as well. How can we, speaking, how can I, you know, better support you know, my women colleagues at work? Yeah, that, I feel like everyone needs to ask that question. And what I highly recommend anyone that wants to support women, my son is like right here too, so you might hear him. <laughs> I would say it's just, if you're in a room, just look around. And if you see that women are missing, speak up about it. Say, hey, is there any way that we can bring so-and-so to the table to see what they think? Or if you're in a room and you see people speaking and there's a woman in that space and they barely have the chance to even say two words, say, hey, 
Christia, you know, what do you think? What would you like to share? Um, but I always recommend people to just mentor. Like we can start now, regardless of where you are in your profession. You could be a graduate assistant. You can be within your first year of your full-time job. Mentor a woman. Like it's okay to have a mentee that is, you know, not exactly how you are. So I highly encourage people to just mentor, uplift, and amplify women in, in every way, every space that they can. Dope. So before I let you go, Christia, I forgot to ask, give us the historical context of hashtag worthy notes. Yeah. Okay. I actually thought about it recently. Like, how did I like make that up? So it actually started in 2014 and it was right when I was getting ready to graduate from graduate school. I went to school nonstop. So after undergrad, I went straight into graduate school. So when I was nearing, you know, graduation, I was really trying to figure out like, who the heck am I? Like, what, what do I stand for? What will my brand be? Like who, how will people recognize me or know who I am? So I was just thinking in my, my last name, well, I did get married this past summer. Uh, so my maiden last name is Worthy and I, I love it. And I'm like, okay, so Worthy is a very strong name. I have a lot of strong opinions <laughs> or a lot of strong things to say. So I came up with Worthy Notes. So basically that is, you know, anything that I take note of or any message that I feel to be worthy. So it doesn't have to necessarily be like my own words. It can be but it can also be anything that I feel that's important for people to hear um, and to know more about. So I just came up with the hashtag worthy note. So I note this and it also is worthy. So that that is, you know, a strong part of who I am. Um, and a lot of people recognize me. I've had someone at a conference like, oh, you're worthy note. So I'm like, yeah, but my name is Christia too. <laughs> but it goes back to like the power of social media and personal branding. So everybody, you know, anyone that's listening, really dig deep into who you are, try to figure out how you want people to remember you, because your digital footprint, your regular footprint is going to be out there. So you have to make sure that you, your actions align with what you want people to say and speak about you. No, excellent. I'm glad I asked that because I'm, the next question is going gonna, is gonna to conclude us today. So it's what, the end of November, really almost approaching the end of 2020. Um, and we got you on the show, right? This is this is a, a treat for us all. Just leave us with whether one, two, three, four, five worthy notes that you would love to share with us as we close Ooh. out today. Yes, um, I'll stick to like my usuals. Uh, the first one is be you. Regardless of who you're around, regardless of what people may say, they may try to like dim your light. Continue to be yourself. The second piece is lift as you rise, right? People helped you get help you get to where you are today. And the least that we could do is to help others. And it could be so, it doesn't have to be anything like spectacular, just spinning games, sharing information to the younger people who may not know about it. Last but not least is to always have a growth mindset. We will face so many different things in life that is meant to bring us down, to, you know, keep us, you know, in a negative, you know, spirit. But once you learn about the power of mindset and the power of having a growth mindset, it will shift your perspective towards like any problem that you're experiencing. So really lean into that. So be you, lift as you rise and maintain a growth mindset. 
Well, that's three pieces of information. It's also a free game before you start this uh, LLC, which I'm excited for you to launch. Uh, but with that, Christy, again, thank you so much for your time, your attention, your labor um, on this podcast interview today. Well, I know I definitely took a lot of notes uh, for just to implement in my own life, but also to help support, you know, amplify, mentor, sponsor um, women uh, in my circle, my village, my community. Um, but extremely thankful again for you to you know share a little bit more of your story uh, with the world on this day. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. And we want to thank you for your energy and your passion for sharing other stories. So thank you, Tim. And thank you for having me. We love it. Well, everyone else, again, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Walk with TFB. Um, if you have not done so already, make sure you follow us on both Twitter and Instagram um, at Walk with TFB. Uh, also, be sure to subscribe to us on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Um, we look forward to having more filter conversation with authentic millennial people centered on education, sport, and culture as we move throughout our more than a millennial season. Uh, but until then, welcome me. Oh, you know, my, oh, you know, my, oh, you know, my, oh, you know, my.